Yeah, like learning forward was good for us in a sense, right? Like our parents had positive intentions. They had our best interests at heart. But what they didn't understand and they didn't do for us is work through the self-care aspects. The like ensure that we were healthy, that we were happy. I would argue that a lot of my classmates had an identity crisis when they finally got into college because it wasn't what they wanted to do. They, they'd been saving up all of their like rebellion and their independence for college when they moved away from their parents' house. And they would basically have like a mental breakdown. A lot of us changed dramatically from what we were in high school to who we are now. Some of us reclaimed our Asian names. Some of us have come out since then. Like all of these things and... Those are things that we should have been exploring when we were in high school, and we didn't have time. Heyo, welcome to the Asian Detox Podcast, the podcast where we boldly reclaim Asian American prosperity. We have relatable conversations about how being Asian American shows up in our day-to-day lives, how money is deeply embedded in our culture, and how you can choose to define your own version of success in a world that tries to tell us how to be. I'm your host, TJ Way, your hashtag very Asian, non-binary, gluten and dairy-free money habits coach, and I want you to know that you don't have to live in the boxes other people put you in. You can design your abundant life in a way that honors your heritage, while enjoying a life of ease and alignment. And you can do it while making money and building generational wealth. Okay, I'm trying to keep this podcast PG-13. So I will spell this out one time, and then you're going to hear me refer to it in the acronym form. But my high school was toxic as fuck. And I feel very confident saying that. Because no one who knows what toxic means would deny it. I've checked with my friends and they're like, yep, yep, yep. (laughs) Not embarrassed at all that that's what our high school was like. And I was going to make this episode a season one wrap up. This is the last episode of the season before we go on a brief hiatus and prepare for season two. We're definitely looking to make some improvements based off of things that we learned from season one. But then I was in the Asian American community on Facebook and mentioned about my high school being toxic and everybody who loves drama wanted to know which high school. So for those people who knew, I typed in MSJHS. So if you know, you know. And everybody was like, yep, that's right. I did have one person comment, oh, that's unusual. That's a really affluent area. And I was like, excuse me, do you think that just because you're rich, you're not toxic? I'm sorry. Have you, have you watched reality TV shows? Like what? The richer you are, the more toxic you are, for one. And the reason that area is affluent is because of immigration patterns, actually. So I had a history teacher who went to my high school 20 years before I did. And she said that when she went to high school, it was a very typical, predominantly white high school with all of your 
stereotypical cliques, like the jocks and the geeks and the cheerleaders, like those types of things that you would see on TV. She said that's how it was back then. And then when she came back to teach there, it was my reality. And my reality was something closer to us being 80% Asian or more than actually. And what happens there, I want to explain this migration pattern, is that typically either from a housing perspective, they were affordable housing when uh, all of my generation's parents moved in. So if I'm remembering correctly, I was told that one of my friends' parents bought their house for about 400000 when they first moved in. So probably when we were somewhere between like three and five um, before you have to like go to public school. And now, or at least when my parents sold their house when I was in college, so let's call that almost 20 years later, a little less than that, maybe closer to 15 years later, I believe my parents sold their house for 2.1 million. They bought in at the right time and then the value was higher. And the reason why, because it's not like there was a lot of development in our area from like new shops or anything. Uh, We didn't remodel the house too much, nothing like that. And our neighborhood didn't suddenly like knock out all their houses and turn them into like two-story, really fancy modern things. No, it was the school district. And I want to explain this for people who aren't familiar with the way our school district works because it's different in different counties and different cities and everything. Basically, if you want to go to public school, you had to live in the geographical area that that public school was designated to. So I lived right next to my junior high. So that guaranteed that I would go to that high school and that elementary school because I was like literally that close. I could turn the corner and walk to my junior high. So I was in a little pocket that went to that high school. But if in my town, we had, it was actually five towns that eventually merged into one because they grew into each other. My town, we had five high schools. So if you lived closer to a different high school, then that's the high school you went to. So what happened in my high school area is at some point, somebody noticed that our high school had really good test scores. And that was appealing because then as a parent, as a learning forward parent, you think, oh, well, maybe it's because the teachers there are really good at teaching. So if you have a choice, you move into that area. And that's actually what my mom did because we actually lived in a different city at the time when um, she started working in the school district in that city. And she found out that that city's high school wasn't as good as the one that we eventually went to. So she moved us purposely to be aligned with that school district and that high school. And that's how I ended up in a very toxic environment. And that is true for a lot of my peers growing up is that they noticed this and they moved in on purpose. and then. Because like these learning forward parents brought their kids into this environment, that meant that they pressured their kids to do well in school. They had like high expectations of us going to college and all of that. 
So that meant we brought motivated parents and students into that neighborhood, which then increased the test scores even further. And then because the test scores look good and you have motivated students, then we attract better teachers. And then again, test scores keep going up. So what happens then is that because of the way our school district worked, where you had to have an address in that area in order to go to the high school with the really good teachers, and it's a public school, so there's no fees other than property taxes, that's how my childhood neighborhood became an affluent area, was because of this cycle of like academic pressure and learning forward family culture. And I chalk this up to just being Asian, that we know that college is super valuable and that is like the Asian accepted route to success, like get a STEM career, go to college, get a stable job, right? And it starts with the middle school and high school you go to. Those are the, those are the grades that really matter, right? The foundational places where you have to understand how to operate in the system. And then your grades in high school are what gets you into college. So that's why it's so important, why we had basically this pattern of migration. And it's gotten to the point, I just had my 10-year high school reunion, like I want to say that was before the pandemic. And it's gotten to the point where now I got, I got like a third-hand story from a friend that the current principal calls our students and parents very special when he's interviewing new teachers because that the pressure on the teachers is increased, right? Like in this generation, parents are kind of nosy and they tend to blame the teacher for everything that goes wrong in the classroom or like their student not doing well. But I imagine that at my high school now, it's even worse than it was before. And I actually, my mom was one of the parents who'd called my teacher one time. Not worth the story. Um, but I remember one of my friends, my childhood friends, her mom, and we're actually friends too. I'm friends with my friend's mom, started this student club basically with the acronym was SOS. So I always remembered it as save our students because dear Lord, we needed saving guys. We really did. But the acronym actually stood for stressed out students. And that organization came out of Stanford and is since rebranded to be called Challenge Success. And maybe it's obvious from the name, but the concept was that our students were burnt out. And if you go to Challenge Success's website, you'll see all the statistics. And we did like a whole assessment across our high school to find out how our high school was doing. And I actually, I don't remember the numbers, right? But one of the questions was, do you have a teacher at your high school who you trust to turn to when something's going wrong in your life or that like somebody you could confide in, an adult? And I just remember that like, result being in like, I want to say it was around 4% of our students felt that they could turn to a teacher for help. And it was a very generic, it didn't say specifically what type of help. So I would argue sometimes that would be help in terms of like, I'm struggling in class and I don't know, like I need extra help, right? Those kinds of things. I know for a fact that I had too much of this, like that negative, like pride, the, like I was too proud to ask for help. 
And I did actually have a teacher eventually that I felt like I could confide in, but there were definitely times I struggled. And I especially struggled because of that pride, right? Like I will admit, right? The, there's that model minority stereotype that Asians are smart and they do well in school. And that is not a hundred percent true. I definitely had classmates who resented that model minority stereotype because it, it didn't apply to them. It added extra pressure, right? Like, yeah, your parents are still going to be like, yo, what's wrong? Like you're, you're getting C's and D's. Um, what can we do to help you? Like, do we need to, like, do you have a learning disability? Do we need to get you a tutor? Those kinds of things, especially if you're repeating like a class multiple times, like a required class to graduate. Um, so there's already that inherent pressure from your Asian parents, usually you know, any learning forward parents. And then there's the stereotype when you are Asian American that you're supposed to just naturally be good at academics. And that was not true. And that sucked. And I didn't know what the model minority myth was until we had this organization come into our high school. And it's really funny because we basically did like a evening workshop thing where we screened the movie um, Finding Grace Lee. And she talked about the model minority and things like that too. And that's where we learned about what that was. But the only way we really got students to show up to that is that we promised them free Chipotle. And that's another like very Asian thing to do to just like show up for free food. Um, But that was a very revealing exercise for me, not just like that one workshop, but just being a part of this organization in general, being a leader in it of um, helping people find out or like assessing like what does success mean for them and things like that. That was eye-opening in terms of like it gave us a benchmark. It gave us context and something to compare to of like how this wasn't healthy for us. And I have to say like, yeah, I had that Asian pride thing or like that, that negative pride thing rather that was inhibiting me from getting the help I needed when I struggled. And that was probably, that was my burden. But uh, something I observed in my classmates beyond that was that, and my roommate calls this having a pissing contest. Um, I don't know how else to phrase it right now, but it was basically like a complaining contest. And I've mentioned this with Amanda before on a previous episode of like how this is how we connect with each other. But I remember sitting in my high school chemistry class and next to me, like it's the day of a test and this is like first period. So it's like first thing in the morning, one classmate is sitting next to me and then another classmate walks up to them and says that they stayed up studying until 2 a.m. And then the other one says, that's nothing. I stayed up until 3 a.m. And I'm sitting over here going, yo, did you guys not pay attention in biology or your psych class? Like, that ain't healthy. That's not going to help you with this test. This makes no sense. You've like inhibited your executive functions in your brain activity you've given it less sleep than it needs. And that's another thing that this, um, that challenge success talks about is how teenagers actually need more sleep than fully grown adults. They need closer to nine hours than the six or seven hours that fully grown adults need. So it's not okay for you to pull an all nighter before a test, because first of all, you're using like short-term memory to pass that test 
right? Everything you learned in that in that 24 hours before the test, short-term memory. You're going to forget it after you take the test. Second, you've like made it harder for your brain to function normally. So your like logic is going to be inhibited. So I always thought those, like that type of complaining for that specific scenario was like dumb and unhealthy. And it totally is like as much as like, I agree that complaining can be a way of connecting with each other, but that was unhealthy for us. And our parents didn't do anything in terms of like saying, hey, I would rather you sleep than get good grades. Like they didn't prioritize those things for us. And like, it wasn't all on our parents because I would say like at the time that I was growing up, this, I think it was a book, this book called Tiger Mom came out and it was about how this mom was like super aggressive in basically making their child perfect in, by their definition, like doing all the extracurriculars, doing well in school, all of these things and how she was proud of being a tiger mom, because that meant that she was like superior in some way that her kid was like shoved into a box of her creation. And my mom tried to adopt that, right? She was like, I'm a tiger mom. And I was like, no, you're not mom, right? Like I played the flute and I didn't like to practice. And I would practice when my mom told me to, but when I practiced under duress, under stress, when I was forced to practice, I made more mistakes than when I was playing for fun or because I enjoyed it or when I volunteered to do it. So my mom would hear these mistakes and be like, okay, you can stop. And that's how I was like, yeah, mom, you can't even force me to do these things. You're not a tiger mom. Um, So yeah, my parents were learning forward, but I actually had a story. I remember my mom telling me when we were, when I was little, that My dad actually didn't go to a traditional college in Taiwan. His test scores weren't good enough. And she talked about how her test scores were only passable, that she got closer to C's, like B's and C's. She was not a straight A student in Taiwan, but she did get into college. And I just remember those two instances of like, she told me that context of how they did in school. And then she like in the next breath, I, I don't remember, I might be stitching them together, but it, like in my head, it was like the next breath. She said, well, you have good genetics, so you need to have kids, blah, 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 blah. And like this beside the point. But I mentioned that because the moment she said that, I was like, bullshit. And I didn't say this out loud to her, but my brain went, bullshit. You and dad did not do well in school. So how can you say that we have good genetics? As a first-generation Asian-American, I grew up trying to fit into the boxes other people put me in. I considered acting, voice acting, and writing as career options when I was little, but ended up joining corporate America as an IT project manager to take the Asian parent-approved path. The good news is, it's not too late for me to follow those more creative goals, but I didn't have the energy to work both my corporate job and follow those passions. And I couldn't shake the cultural directive to be financially stable so that my parents wouldn't have to worry about me. It's so ingrained in me that it's difficult to focus on more creative pursuits or what might be considered passion projects without the financial backing to support myself. That's why I'm such a big fan of building systems and financial foundations that leverage my hashtag very Asian frugal money habits and the more expansive abundance mindset that I strive to embody every day. While sitting at my corporate job feeling like there must be more to life than this, I spent years learning and absorbing information about how to become financially independent, invest in real estate and stocks, and build a business. And now, I'm on track to retire by 40. But more than that, I have the freedom to dress how I want, 
because how I dress now is certainly not considered professional, adopt unconventional pronouns, and work fewer hours to support my physical and mental health. I get to choose what clients I work with, who I spend time with, and what boundaries I need to set in order to keep the toxic expectations and hustle culture at bay. And I want that for you too. If you're ready to make your next big money move and build the financial foundations you need to feel like you can show up as your full self, I have an offer for you. My generational wealth building money mentorship program is three months of direct access to me and my brain to cut through all of the noise and conflicting information on the internet and get you where you need to be financially. Get a wealth building strategy, action plan, curated resources, and emotional support to put you on the path towards your abundant life. The link is in the show notes. So I didn't, in my household, yeah, we we prioritized school. I would volunteer to quit extracurriculars that I enjoyed because what that would do to me is that I would go home and I would be too exhausted to do my homework. And so I internalized something from them that that was the priority, that school was more important than my extracurriculars. But that was about the extent of it, really. Like as long as I did decently well, I wasn't failing out of classes. I didn't get too much pressure. And this is partly because my brother was not, my brother's form of intelligence is in that strategic space where like if he had been like thrown into the military as a general, he would have done amazing. But school doesn't measure that shit. So he got the lion's share of attention when it came to academics because my parents were trying to bring him up to like average because of that. So like, as long as I wasn't flunking out of classes, I didn't get a lot of attention or pressure from my parents. Where I did get the pressure from was hearing about my classmates and the pressure they were getting from their parents. And I was just talking to this with my roommate about the concept of like, he, his theory is that the first milestone in raising a child is getting to the, them to the point where they can socialize with other children. And then after that, you can kind of like coast or you're like your responsibilities are reduced from like a, um, a proactive standpoint in like modeling behavior for them and like talking to your kids and stuff like that, which I don't know that I fully believe, but he said that part about socializing with other children. And I was like, oh yeah, because at that point, your child is now absorbing the behaviors that their peers have adopted from their parents. So even if, for instance, I didn't enjoy a particular way that my parents parented me, or I didn't have an example of a like stable romantic relationship from my parents, I was hanging out with my friend and I was at their house all the time. And I got to see an example of how her parents behaved. And same thing with my high school sweetheart. I got to see an example of how his parents behaved, right? So that socialization thing was big. And that was a big pressure for me is that even though my parents at home weren't like yelling at me to have better grades and stuff, they had definitely, I felt that expectation and I adopted similar expectations from my peers of how stressed they were about doing well in school. And there was like this rumor going around the dumbest shit guys. There was a rumor going around that because we were Asian, like, so for instance, our high school had both Japanese and Chinese as language options, foreign language options. And the rumor was if you were Chinese, for instance, which I am, and you took Mandarin Chinese as your foreign language, when you applied for college, the colleges would discount that 
that like somehow it didn't count as a foreign language because you were ethnically Chinese. And I was like, you guys are dumb as fuck. <laughs> like, oops. Okay. I've ruined the PG-13 thing. Um, but that was like a driving force for a lot of my classmates who were some form of bilingual to go and take Spanish and French instead because they, for some reason, thought that like they would get brownie points for taking what amounts to a third language for them. Yeah, some of my classmates didn't grow up speaking their language at home. So that was also a thing. Actually, my first boyfriend didn't speak Chinese at home and he was only half Chinese and he took Spanish and we kind of made fun of him for that. And that was mean. That was like, we shouldn't have done that. But that was the weird, toxic stuff that was going around in my high school that like some of it I could deflect. Like that one I felt was dumb, but there were other parts that I internalized without realizing it. And to be honest, like high school was harder than college. And not just because I went from like that environment to a public school that lets like 80% of their applicants in. It was very, it's very open, right? That's not the only reason because we talked about like how one of my friends, their older sibling went to Berkeley and the story coming down from there was like, oh, business math at Berkeley was easier than math at our high school. I was like, that is the weirdest inversion ever. Like college is supposed to be harder than high school, but it wasn't, not for us because that's how toxic we were. Is that like, so if you're familiar with of advanced placement classes, they're classes that you can take that are supposed to be college level curriculum that are approved by a whole board that actually ensures that they are college level. Uh, and then at the end of the year, you take an exam to show that you actually absorbed and learned the, the material at a college aptitude to pass like at the college level. And then you'd get credit for colleges that accepted that metric as a way of like, then when you went to college, you wouldn't have to take that class because you've technically already taken it in high school. And there's other systems like this. There's dual enrollment. There's, um, I think it's IBIS, International Baccalaureate. Is that, okay, so it's probably not IBIS as the, the um, acronym, but there's all of these systems. And I actually had classmates also go to the local community college to take advanced math because we didn't offer beyond calculus BC is what I think it was called. So like calculus two, basically. So some of our, our students were so advanced in math that they had to go to the college to do their like calculus three and beyond like abstract math. And after that, in order to like com- continue to, to be the, like the child prodigies that they were, that stuff was easier in college than it was in high school. So I purposely didn't load my schedule. And this was another one of those like, oh, you should take like six of these advanced placement classes. And like six was the maximum classes we could take a year. Um, You should take six of these so that it looks good on your college resume. Uh, Again, like college application was ridiculous. Okay, guys, like this, we were, people were basically killing themselves in order to get into college. And it's completely unnecessary, especially in America. And even in Taiwan now, it's unnecessary because they have more colleges in Taiwan now. People would load themselves up like that. And I actually have a memory of you have to like get your your teachers to sign off that they that you are in, doing well enough in school that you can go on to the next level of like that chain of curriculum, right? So if I was in the sciences, I would have to get signed off that I did well in chemistry before I could go on to physics or something like that. So I remember 
giving my like class plan in junior year for senior year, like my plan for senior year to my statistics teacher, my AP system, my advanced placement statistics teacher. And he saw my plan and was like, well, that's unusual. You're like not taking advanced placement calculus and you're not like loaded up on three to six advanced placement classes on your schedule. And I was like, nope, we're not doing that shit. This is not, this is not how I'm going to live my life. We are not trying to torture ourselves. And I actually purposely made the conscious decision because the, the other thing, right, was that STEM was a big thing or these days and age, it's called STEAM, but back then it was STEM. So there wasn't any art involved, right? We didn't laud art back then. STEM was the the direction that everybody wanted their careers to go. And our high school was actually oriented in that direction up until maybe junior, senior year when they started offering um, classes that were a little bit more humanities, social sciences oriented, more liberal arts types of classes. Most of our options were in advanced math, advanced sciences. And I'm over here. I actually signed up for advanced Advanced Placement U.S. History, a push. And that, from a reputation perspective, was the hardest class. (laughs) Oh, the hardest class at our high school. And it it was very difficult. And so I'm glad that there was a reputation because that meant that I put a decent amount of effort into it. But the reason it's the hardest class is because my high school, uh, my classmates didn't read. And that's not because English was their second language or anything. They just didn't put any like value behind reading. And when you take a history class, that's all you do is you read. Uh, you read books, you read the textbook, <laughs> you might watch a couple documentaries, but there's no cliff notes for history, guys, right? Especially U.S. history, 200 years worth of history, you have to know every freaking detail. I read that textbook forwards and backwards and forwards again with a highlighter and several color-coded pens. Uh, we, we bought our own textbooks. And the fact that that was like considered the hard one was a weird, a weird divide for me because I like basically gave up. I didn't do advanced placement biology or advanced placement chemistry. I gave up following the path my peers were following in order to go this more humanities route I decided I hated math and I do guys. I hate math. Um, I can do math. I just hate it. Uh, so again, breaking the model minority stereotype that Asians are good at math. No F that I have a, my own stereotype for my family that we're bad at math and I'm going to stick to that. Right. I don't need it. (laughs) Not in my modern age where technology will do everything for me. So I purposely was like, well, I'm not going to go into like an engineering school or a sciences school in college. I'm going to go the business route or the psychology route, which is technically a science, but a little bit less on the pressure there from a STEM perspective. So I didn't take those other sciences in the advanced placement track uh, while my classmates did. So I would be in like one of my humanities classes or one of our required courses and they would be talking about their other classes and I would be jealous because I wasn't included. I didn't know what they were talking about. And that was like, it was so much the norm to just follow that, that like, yeah, I questioned it. And that's part of, I'm going to talk about this now, actually my human design. So if you're familiar with human design, um, I have the renegade gate, 
For those of you who don't know, human design is a combination of Reiki, I Ching, and astrology, and there might be some more other methodologies in there. But it's a great way to just kind of gut check your own identity. It's something to bounce your own like introspection off of. And I have the renegade gate, which means that like if it's not healthy for the community, I'm personally not doing it. And I will say so to other people that like, hey, this like this ain't healthy. So it makes sense that I went that route of total renegade and didn't follow the STEM advanced placement path. But most people don't have that. Most people don't have that instinct. They just follow what they're told or do what everybody else is doing. So it was very normal for my school to be that that STEM oriented and succumb to the pressure of either their parents or the pressure of like the way our classmates expect a certain thing. And like when I say expect a certain thing, I mean, I had classmates come up to me and tell me they hated me after every test because I would do well in um, physics. I tested well in physics. I never set the curves. And if you're not familiar with curves, it's like you adjust the grading system to the highest score. I was never a curve setter. I just kept up with them. But I would have a classmate come up to me every time those test results came out and tell me that he hated me. And guys, that is traumatizing. So after a certain point, I stopped telling people what my results were, right? Because it wasn't just like, in this one case, the teacher would put my like test result up on the wall because we did well. Um, So it was public knowledge. But after that, I like didn't have a brain. (laughs) Like I didn't have experience to know not to. But after that, people would come up to me and be like, how'd you do? And I would tell them. And because I, at the time I was still getting A's and the, like, I didn't see a reason not to, I would tell them. And then in the next breath, they would say, and yeah, maybe even before I finished saying, they would say that they hated me. And I didn't like that experience. You, nobody really wants their peers to hate them. So I stopped sharing. They would come up to me and ask me and I would say, I'm not telling you. And they would just walk away, assuming that I was continuing to get straight A's. And that was not the case. So I don't even remember this person's name, but if you're listening to this, when you started assuming that in chemistry, honors chemistry, I was getting C's. I was floundering in honors chemistry, but apparently people will just believe whatever they want to believe. So it doesn't matter whether or not you open your mouth and just, just let them be. But like, these are all stories that I'm, I feel like um, I have a theory that I could probably spend all of season two talking about like digging up stories from my childhood, like pre-college stories. And we could fill a whole season with that. And I would love to bring some of my high school friends on and that mom who started um, the Challenge Success program at our high school. I would love to interview her as well. And we may do that in a regular episode, or I may put those in as bonus materials for my email list. And or we'll do like Facebook Lives or LinkedIn Lives with them. I haven't decided yet. I do need to talk out that format with them. But I do have a couple of volunteers. So we may do more of a panel style podcast at some point and talk about our experiences because I think most of us are on the other side of it where we're like, yeah, that wasn't healthy. And here's the things we want to call in. But what I do know I want to do for season two, because all of this thing, all this I've told you about how toxic my high school was, is to say that 
yeah, like learning forward was good for us in a sense, right? Like our parents had positive intentions. They had our best interests at heart. But what they didn't understand and they didn't do for us is work through the self-care aspects, the like ensure that we were healthy, that we were happy. Like this is something that I, I point out to people of like, College applications don't measure how healthy you are or your happiness. They only look at how hard you've like destroyed your own body, like stressed yourself out to the point where like you look good on paper, but that's just the paper. That's not the whole picture. Like, are you, are you a fully rounded person? Do you, do you have a personality? Can you speak to other people? Like, are you charismatic? Those types of things. But in general, just like, are you happy? Is this really what you want to do? And I would argue that a lot of my classmates had an identity crisis when they finally got into college because it wasn't what they wanted to do. They, they'd been saving up all of their like rebellion and their independence for college when they moved away from their parents' house and they would basically have like a mental breakdown. And I don't have a lot of examples of this because I moved away from them. Like I purposely didn't go to a college where my classmates were, but a lot of us changed dramatically from what we were in high school to who we are now. Some of us reclaimed our Asian names. Some of us have come out since then, like all of these things. And like, those are things that we should have been exploring when we were in high school and we didn't have time. That wasn't our priority. We pushed down ourselves. We put our, made ourselves so busy that we couldn't be introspective, that we couldn't figure out who we were. And I've talked about this with Ayan, right? Like we made ourselves so busy. There was no place to rest. There was no time to do the inner work. There was not, no time to do the growth. And I don't even know what to say about how that makes me feel about our high school experience that like there wasn't that kind of self-care aspect to it, like the internal self-care. Um, but I do know that for season two, I want to bring that self-care theme in as our overarching theme. And I'm also not limiting my guests to Asian Americans. We're going to have a few Asians that aren't American. And we're also going to have some guests who are from an immigrant family that aren't Asian. Because there's a lot that are shared experiences between those groups and or because like those contrasts makes it easier for us to point out what was like an Asian American thing versus like an immigrant thing or those kinds of like, or a people of color thing, those types of categories. And I want to talk about what self-care looks like, what our options are, what it could be and why we don't have it. <laughs> like Asian Americans don't have self-care or at least my high school didn't. And a lot of us now, right? Self-care is like a new trendy word now. But I also remember there are documentaries about how like school in China where they do self-care. Like they literally have 10 minutes where they sit there at their desk where their teacher leading exercises to like massage their faces and eyes to get rid of the headaches. And same thing in Japan, they do Rajio Taiso. Uh, that's radio exercise is what I think the Taiso stands for. Um, but like, it's a program that comes on every morning where they do stretches. And we did this in our um, Japanese language class in high school. So that's why I know. But like, Asia does self-care for their students and we didn't in our high school. So we lost a lot, right? We had that high pressure, but we didn't bring the whole balance that mainland had. Not that I, I wouldn't say that like mainland was perfect, right? Like things going on in China and Japan or Taiwan or whatever probably wasn't perfect th that way either. 
But in America, we don't really show um, Asians doing self-care. We show them providing self-care to other people, but we don't typically have that representation. So I want to bring that through in season two with my guests and talk about like our experience of whether or not we had it and um, what it looks like for them or their particular specialty. Because I want to get specialists in on their category of self-care and talk through that and and highlight those for you. So that's a little sneak peek of what season two will be like. If you've listened to all of season one so far, thank you for sticking with us. This has definitely been about me living my life out loud by going through this like growth experience, this reconnection with my Asian American identity out loud with you. Because again, going back to the human design thing, I am a projector, a self-projecting projector is how some people refer to it. or a projector who has to talk things out loud in order to decide and make decisions to have authority to figure out like what I want to do. So this podcast is a little bit more touched up version of me just talking out loud my thoughts so that I can figure out what I want for myself. So some of the things you're going to hear on the podcast were like 50% baked and talking it out gets me to 80%. And the more I talk about it, I get like more firm in those uh, in my own convictions. So that's exactly what this podcast is. It's not, I'm not coming to you as an authority that's already on the other side and has already done all the growth work or like already has set beliefs in what it is to be Asian American or how to like detox the toxicity out of our identities. This is me doing it for myself and doing it in a way that is public so that you can follow along on my journey and so that I can bring other Asian American business owners, other people who are the guests onto my podcast so that we can have these conversations and that we can all arrive at a better place together. So thank you so much for supporting me in this just by listening. Those download numbers help. If you haven't already subscribed, hit the subscribe button. And we are certainly, we're cooking up a lot of things for season two. So you're going to see some format changes. I'm going to pre-record a lot of these episodes. We've learned a lot from the way season one went, and that's by design. We didn't know how the audience would react to certain formats. So thank you so much for providing the data that I need to make those adjustments. And this is just a, the way business is. It's like you make you throw something out in the world, and then you make an adjustment based off of the feedback you get. So that is it for season one. Mark your calendars. By the time this episode comes out, we're going to be just around the corner from our post-Thanksgiving live roundtable discussion with the Asian Detox podcast guests of season one. We will reflect on the themes of the episodes from family legacy to navigating Eastern and Western perspectives and the differences yet similarities we share as Asian Americans. We are offering an opportunity for guests to give us comments and questions. Join us live Tuesday, November 29th at 4 p.m. Pacific and 7 p.m. Eastern The last time I I put one of these blurbs in, guys, I got the time zones wrong because Arizona does not do daylight savings time. So again, to avoid the confusion, the official time is 4 p.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. Eastern. Look for the link to sign up in the show notes and the bio of at Asian Detox on Instagram. We are so excited to meet you. I know that something in this episode left you feeling, oh my God, that's so me. And I want to hear about it. 
leave a review on iTunes or tag me on social media and share your relatable story with us so that we can normalize our experiences as Asian Americans and help more people feel safe to step outside of the box. I can't wait to hear about it. You can find me on Instagram at tj.wey and don't forget to design your abundant life.